The Bible reading today is taken from Genesis 15, 1 to 21. So just a short prayer before the reading. Dear Lord, prepare our hearts and open our minds to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son of who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabmanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. In our text today, God promised Abraham that his award would be a child, a great family, and a great land. God made a covenant with Abraham on that day. In addition, God revealed to Abraham that his offspring would be slaves for 400 years in another country, but that they would become great and return to possess the Canaan. Last Sunday, we read about how Abraham defeated four very powerful kings and rescued his nephew Lot from captivities with the help from God. Well, he may have been wondering 
if those enemies would try to take revenge on him and make a military, military reprisal. A battle which Abraham just fought was a stark reminder of the constant danger in which he was living in. Although Abraham was extremely wealthy, and he was still a foreigner in the land of Canaan, he did not, he did not even own an acre of the land that God had promised to give to him and his descendants. The wealthier he became, the more he lived with a target on his back. Given this background, it might help us understand why chapter 15 verse 1 starts off by saying, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. The Lord reassured Abraham of his protection while he was living in a land that was often quite dangerous. The Lord reassured Abraham that what the Lord gave to him would extend into eternity, something that only the Lord could provide. Yes, Abraham had nothing to fear with the Lord on his side. But Abraham also seemed to be quite frustrated and to be getting more afraid. As we all do, while waiting on God's promises, years earlier, the Lord had promised Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Chapter 12, verse 2. But Abraham and his wife Sarai still did not have an, any children. How was this nation ever going to come about if Abraham didn't have any children? How and when was the Lord going to keep his promise? Abraham and his wife were getting old. He was about almost 85 years old. He knew his time was running out and the promise of a son was not yet fulfilled. God promised Abraham his own son, but now Abraham was thinking outside God's plan. Many times, we put our worldly thoughts ahead of God's plans. Listen to what he said in verse 2 and 3. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Well, God does not shout at Abraham. God does not tell Abraham he does not have the right to complain. God understood Abraham's situation and his state of mind. If you are going through a rough patch in life, it is human to complain to God. But understand, we have a God who will always love us. In the Bible, we come across many people who have cried to God in their despair. For example, Habakkuk. In the ancient Near East, there was a well-attested practice to ensure an heir, 
even if no man, uh, no son was born to the man. The childless couple will adopt one of the servants born into the household. This so, so to speak, son would care for them in their old age and would inherit their possessions and property at the time of their death. At this low point in Abraham's faith, it was the best for which he thought he could hope. The Lord reassured Abraham in verse 4, A son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your head. And to reinforce his promise, he gave Abraham a visual. To reassure Abraham, God took him outside and drew his attention to the star in the heavens and said to him, in verse 5, Look up the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham looked at his aged body, at Sarai's aged body, and then again at the promise of God and placed his hope not in what he could see, but in what he couldn't see. He found that in no matter what circumstances, the word of the living God was greater than in no matter what circumstances. The word of the living God was greater than what the situation may say. If God made the stars of the skies in the past, hanging them and naming them all, then he could give Abraham a child in the future. God had promised Abraham for more, far more than that which he could provide for himself. Eliezer was not the heir that he had promised. He would have a son of his own. How did Abraham respond? We are told in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Did you hear that? That is the solution to fear and frustration. It is faith. Trusting that the Lord will do what he has promised. Although Abraham doesn't yet hold the promised child, he holds the promise. He believed the Lord and God counted it as righteousness. Abraham went to bed that night full of trust in God. That's the life of faith, living in between promise and the fulfillment. To be reckoned as righteous means to be counted as one committed to a covenant relationship with the Holy God. As we shall we'll see in the next few verses, a covenant is indeed on the mind of God. This confirmation of Abraham's right, right uh, justification then becomes the backdrop of for the rest of the story. Well, having dwelt with Abraham's greatest need for reassurance, namely that of an heir, 
God went on to strengthen Abraham's fear, sorry, Abraham's faith concerning the land of the word that he would possess. God said to Abraham in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you and out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abraham said in verse 8, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? God did not rebuke Abraham for his question, but confirmed his promise by a covenant in verses 9 to 11. In the ancient world of Abraham, legal and binding agreements were not put on papers written by lawyers and signed by parties involved. Instead, the two parties would arrive at a mutually acceptable agreement and then they would formalize it in the form of a covenant. When two parties enter into a covenant, they would cut an animal into two and set it apart. Then both the parties would walk in between with witnesses watching this covenant. In other words, both parties are declaring to the witnesses that if either of them breaks the covenant, they are ready to die like the animal that has been sacrificed. So, verses 9 to 11 do not describe the process of animal sacrifice, but the legal act of making a binding agreement. But after Abraham cut the animals in half, birds of prey, perhaps vultures, swooped down to claim those dead animals for themselves. Abraham had to shoo them away lest this contract signing with God be rained. It seems like a funny detail to include, but it illustrates something that happens every day. While God works to strengthen our faith, Satan is hard at work trying to derail God's efforts. So beware of that in your life. Be alert and shoo him away. Some time seems to have passed between the preparation of the animals and the final ratification. Abraham fell into a deep trance-like state towards the end of his distillate. He was, as it were, caught up in a vision. Abraham became a prophet like the many Israel would have in the days to come. God appeared to him with a word about the future, a revelation of the treatment of Abraham's children in the next 400 years. Abraham's descendants will possess the land of Canaan, but not until after a considerable delay and many difficulties. As for Abraham, he would have a peaceable death at a ripe old age. 
verses 17 to 21, describe that God entered into a covenant with Abraham. God reiterated his promises to Abraham to the covenant. Why did God do this to Abraham? Abraham needed a reassurance. God knew that Abraham could not grasp the promise at this age. God wanted Abraham to have a powerful image in his mind to remind him of these days, the covenant when he struggled in the future. At the time when both parties would traditionally walk through the separated flesh together, God walks alone to the flames. It is as if God is saying, if I break my covenant, I alone will be torn like these animals. You, Abraham, are not held responsible for this promise. This is mine to bring about. You are the benefactor, not the guarantor. In verses 18 to 20, the geographical boundaries have been clearly defined. And even the peoples who were to be dispossessed were named. God committed himself to a very specific course of action. What more reassurance could be asked? Now we're going to turn to chapter 16, though we haven't read, but they are continuing uh, together. In Genesis 15, Abraham believed that God would fulfill the promise of offspring. Mentioned in chapter 12, verse 2, through this, uh, through his servant Eliezer, probably assuming he was too old to f- physically have a child. But God make it explicitly clear that Abraham himself would have a son. However, the passage of time continued to put a strain on him and Sarai. And chapter 16 presents us with an example of what happened when we try to circumvent God's timing. It can be confusing and heartbreaking when God doesn't work according to our timetables. Abraham and Sarai knew this all too well. Many, year, many years earlier, God had promised to give them, or give him, the land of Canaan and numerous offspring. They might have expected children to quickly follow once they arrive in the land. But that's not what's happened. Years later, Abraham assumed that he had misunderstood God's promise and tried to make his servant Eliezer his heir. But God explicitly said to Abraham that he would produce a son that would be his heir. Now in chapter 16, we find Abraham and Sarai doubting whether she will be the woman to bear Abraham a child because she was barren. So they had in Canaan for 10 years at this point. Just look at verse 3. 
after waiting for so long, and after God have confirmed that Abraham would be a biological father, Sarai's patience had ran its course, and she probably reasoned that the promise of spring was never supposed to come from her. So she told Abraham to sleep with her servant Hagar to produce a child through her. This practice of surrogate motherhood was a common practice at that time. Uh, I believe in some culture the same. I, I'm not too sure about the English culture, but in Chinese culture it's quite, quite common yeah, uh, until the recent years. Unfortunately, once she was pregnant, Hagar's attitude changed. She began to despise Sarai. And Sarai in turn perceived this as a threat against her place in the household and became defensive. In another echo of Genesis 3, Sarai blamed her actions on Abraham, who refused to take any responsibility. Being human, Sarai started having difficulties in getting along with Hagar. Then Hagar ran away into the desert, and an angel found her, and he told her to go back and to be obedient to Abraham's wife. Then the angel talked to her a little about the future of her unborn baby in verses 11 and 12. So Hagar went back and bore a son to Abraham, and she named him Ishmael. And verse 15, Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And we will read nothing more about Abraham's story for the next 13 years. When the next chapters opens, Abraham is 99 years old. We can well suspect that these were years of unhappiness and unrest in the household of Abraham. The presence of Ishmael in the home created endless contempt, bitterness, envy, jealousy, weariness of spirit and rebellion. These 13 years were designed by God to teach Abraham the folly of acting on his own. Well, perhaps you have had some similar experience. When God has allowed you to have your own way and the results have been most distressing, you were permitted to go your own headstrong way in order that you might learn the folly of acting apart from God. In the eyes of God, there was nothing worth noting. It was a period of spiritual wilderness for Abraham. There were two parts of the covenant. God had done his part of ratification in chapter 15. Unfortunately, God had to defer Abraham's part of ratification of the covenant for 13 years till Abraham was more mature and ready spiritually. 
Abraham and Sarai had to wait many more years for God to fulfill his promise. So what lesson can we learn about our relationship with God from this story of Abraham? First, fear. This morning, maybe you are scared of someone or something. Maybe you are over your head in debt and are scared of losing your house or business. Maybe you are scared of being without a job. Maybe your fear is poverty. Maybe you fear that the dumb or sinful thing you have done in past will catch up with you. Maybe your fear is illness or cancer or heart attack or stroke. Whatever your fear, let yourself be assured by the words of God to Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. In Christ, God protects you and loves you and cares for you. In Christ, you are safe, internally safe, and no one can snatch you out of his hand. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. Second, God's timing, God's timetable. A lesson that we can learn from Abraham is that God gives rewards according to his timetable, not ours. God's timetable is sometimes slower than we would like, but the rewards are certain. God promised Abraham a child, a great nation, and a great land. God sometimes moves slowly, and he will always allow us to overrun him if we want to. But when we do, we inevitably make a wrong turn and find ourselves at a dead end. God then has to come and lead us back to the right road and continue on with us from there. Running ahead of God never speeds things up. It only slows things down and causes a great heartache and headache later on. We learn from this episode in Abraham's journey is that we should wait upon the Lord. Waiting is hard to do. We like things to be fast. We like fast food and the fast lane. We want instant downloads or overnight delivery. Why do we like things fast? Because life is short and we don't want to waste time waiting. But it is usually in waiting that God does his best work in us. Richard Hendricks said, Second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. The Lord helped us acquire an appreciation for the blessing to come when we are forced to wait. Meanwhile, God builds our maturity while we wait so that when the fulfillment comes, we are prepared.
to enjoy his blessing to the fullness. Lastly, the third lesson, God's way. We learn from this episode in Abraham's journey is that it is a, always a bad idea to try to accomplish God's plan in your own way and your own timing. God's plan come complete with his methods and his timing. And when we try to tinker with that, it messes everything up. God-fearing people sometimes trying to fulfill God's will in their own ways or trying to help God and complicate things. But God does not need our help to do his job. The only thing God wants from us is our obedience. And then he wants us to wait until he has done what he has promised to do. Well, he will tell you when he wants us to do something. So until he tells us, we are to patiently wait upon him and not try to manipulate things to help God to do his job. Even when we make mistakes, God is able to use our mistakes to work out his plan. Well, if you have made a mistake in your past, do two things. First, own up to it. Admit what you did was wrong. In First John chapter 9, call this confessing your sin. Take responsibility for your action. Then once you have done this, move on. Trust that God in his sovereignty can even bring good from your mistake and that your mistakes never trod God's plan and purpose for you. Amen. May God bless you.